Hello, and welcome to Crimes and Witch Demeanors. I'm your host, Joshua Spellman. Thank you so much for tuning in and sticking with me. For everyone who enjoyed the first batch of episodes, thank you so much. I didn't think anyone was going to like it, but that's just me and my self-hatred, which I'm not going to talk to you about. That's what therapists are for. What we're here for is ghosts. And I know last episode on Murder Creek, it was kind of, you know, light on the ghosts, light on the spookiness, but uh, trust me. This week's episode, we have plenty of ghosts to talk about. There is no shortage of ghosts. I feel like we're slowly making our way from coast to coast. So, you know, we've done New York and we've done Ohio. Now we're kind of going over towards like the, the Midwest. That's not the Midwest. Geography. The Southwest? I don't know. We're in Texas this week, okay? So everyone always says, remember the Alamo, and the ghosts of San Antonio are keen on making it quite difficult to forget, particularly the spectral denizens of the Menger Hotel. It was once known as the finest hotel west of the Mississippi. It now holds the moniker of the most haunted hotel in Texas. The Battle of the Alamo, a deadly fire, a murdered maid, and more are the causes of its infamous reputation allegedly being home to well over 32 distinct spirits, including that of Theodore Roosevelt, President Theodore Roosevelt. I thought, you know, Texas, no connection to me in Texas. And it turns out that I have a connection to this as well. It's kind of twofold, but we'll get into that later. And spoiler, it has to do with Teddy Roosevelt and my family. If that's not intriguing you enough, um, then let's just dig into the so-called history of the Menger Hotel. And then afterwards, as usual, we're going to dig deep into the archives to separate fact from folklore. mid-1830s, Texas was fighting for their independence from Mexico. Ultimately, what originated as minor disputes and squabbles erupted into one of the bloodiest battles in Texas history. In February of 1836, the Mexican general, Santa Ana, intent on squashing the rebellion, descended upon the Alamo with a phalanx of almost 4,000 soldiers. The Texans and Tejanos were vastly outnumbered, but were more determined than anyone to fight for their freedom. They banded together and held out against the Mexican forces for 13 long, agonizing days. Missives were sent to the neighboring communities to reinforce their numbers, and they did grow, but it wasn't quite enough. It was 200 against 4,000. And on March 6, 1836, the Mexican soldiers made one final push and rushed the Alamo compound. Using a cannon, General Santa Ana's troops blasted open the doors of the church and began slaughtering everyone inside. The Tejanos and Texans fell one by one, including the likes of American folk hero Davy Crockett. As we know, this would go down in history as the Battle of the Alamo. And 23 years later, at the site of this bloody tragedy, the Menger Hotel would eventually be built. In the 1840s, a German immigrant by the name of William A. Menger settled in the cattle ranching town of San Antonio. Menger stayed at a boarding house owned by a widow by the name of Mary Gunther for three years while he found his footings in his new town. Menger quickly established himself and founded the Western Brewery with his business partner, 
Charles Philip Deegan, another German brewmaster. He set up his shop just across the way from Mary's boarding house. He never really could keep himself away. The Western Brewery became the first brewery in Texas, and also grew to become the largest in the state, with Menger buying out his competitors' breweries and earning the title of the Beer King. However, what's a king without a queen? William Menger eventually convinced Mary Gunther to marry him, and their businesses both flourished, resulting in Mary needing to expand her modest boarding house. Together, the Mengers decided that they would construct a lavish hotel bearing their name, truly a kingdom of their own to reign over. Construction on the new hotel was completed on February 1st, 1859. It was a two-story stone structure with 50 rooms and opulent decor. In fact, the hotel was so successful after only three months of being open, William and Mary began sketching plans for the hotel's first expansion, increasing accommodations from a modest 50 rooms to 90 which effectively made it the largest hotel in the area at the time. However, success was short-lived as the Civil War began in 1861. It saw a sharp decline in paying guests at the hotel. Instead, the Mengers, in order to show their patriotism, offered the hotel to be used in the Confederate war effort. The hotel was converted to a hospital for the sick and severely wounded for the duration of the war. During this time period, the hotel saw many tragic deaths. And not long after, William Menger himself passed away inside the hotel in March of 1871. No details are available on his cause of death, as no autopsy was carried out. Despite William's death, Mary Menger refused to let this deter her dreams of becoming a successful hotelier. And so, she published a notice in the paper claiming his death would, quote, cause no change in the affairs at the brewery or the hotel. And that is a promise that she cashed in on. She saw over 2,000 guests stay at the hotel that year and even had the modern amenity of gas installed. In March of 1876, the Menger Hotel received one of its permanent guests. Sally White was a chambermaid who worked in the hotel, and one night she had gotten into an argument with her husband and decided to stay at the hotel in order to keep her distance. However, The next day, her husband showed up while she was working and threatened to kill her, and after a short argument, he drew his gun and shot her. Her husband got away, but sadly, Sally was badly injured. She held onto life for two whole days before finally succumbing to her wounds on March 28, 1876. After her passing, the hotel paid for the cost of her funeral and her casket because she had no other family. Grateful for the hotel's kindness, she is one of the most often spotted spirits. She's typically spotted carrying out her housekeeping duties, bringing clean towels to guests, or dusting the furniture. Even without Sally, the hotel continued to flourish, and it seemed that nothing could stop Mary's unparalleled success. Well, everything except for her advancing age. She was getting old and her son refused to inherit the hotel, and in 1881, she eventually sold it to Major J.H. Campman for $118,500, or the modern equivalent of $2.8 million. But that's not all. Mary was always a good businesswoman, and she managed to sell him the furnishings that came with it for an additional $8,500, or $203,000 today. Even as an old woman, Mary made sure that she would get her money's worth. 
Campman added an East Wing December of that year, as well as a new bar that was unrivaled by any other this side of the pond, as it was an exact replica of the tap room in the House of Lords in London, England. In fact, this is the same bar that Theodore Roosevelt himself would sit at, buying young cowboys drinks in order to convince them to join the Rough Riders. The lavish Menger Hotel continued to attract wealthy visitors and claim their souls as its own. Originally from New York City, Captain Richard King was born to poor Irish immigrants. They could not afford to feed another mouth, and so they sold him into indentured servitude. Richard hated being a servant and soon escaped on a ferry bound for the Mississippi River. In fact, Richard would go on to become one of the wealthiest entrepreneurs of the 19th century. First, he founded a steamboat company, then served in the Civil War, and, after his very first visit to Texas, decided he was going to buy all of Corpus Christi. And there, he opened his massive one-million-acre ranch. Richard King developed a love for the Menger Hotel and ended up staying there so often that he was given his own private suite on the second floor. And this is where he died after succumbing to a battle with stomach cancer on April 14, 1885. The Menger Hotel held his funeral in the lobby, and it was said to be the largest funeral procession that San Antonio had ever seen. Captain Richard King's ghost is frequently seen in his private suite, or walking through the wall where the original door had been before renovations. The shutters in the room open and close on their own, people hear his heavy footsteps on the floor, and a mysterious red orb is only ever seen in this room. The next tragedy of note to occur at the Menger Hotel occurred in October of 1924. A fire started in the kitchen, and the flames traveled up the walls to the ceiling. The Menger's intricate artwork that trailed through the whole of the hotel was the vector that allowed the fire to completely consume the third and fourth floors, leaving nothing in its wake. Despite the massive destruction to occur to the structure, a night clerk was able to evacuate all 101 guests of the hotel before they could be injured. Instead, the injuries that occurred happened when the fire truck on its way to the scene crashed into a streetcar. The two firemen were injured, as well as the three individuals in the streetcar. Thankfully, no one perished in the accident and everyone fully recovered. The Menger Hotel would not let a small fire ruin its success, and it continued to grow and expand. In 1949, an additional 125 rooms and air conditioning were added, and the stately bar was moved to the other side of the hotel. In 1975, the hotel was officially added to the National Register of Historic Places and remains a popular attraction to this day. Those that stay at the Menger Hotel frequently report ghostly sightings and unexplained events. The ghosts of San Antonio's Menger Hotel are there to make sure that no one forgets the Alamo. Or them. Okay, so I'm aware that the only thing drier than that history lesson is probably my mouth right now, but this part of the podcast is where it gets juicy. Last week with Murder Creek, we were pretty void of the paranormal, so this week we do have it in droves. It's just going to take a little bit of history to trudge through before we get to the paranormal, but we are going to get to the paranormal. Okay, 
So all the details of the hotel and its history, um, and pretty much all the ghosts have been about 100% accurate in that story that I just told, save for one story, and that is the story of the chambermaid, Sally White. While doing the research on her, I ended up discovering something that um, lets me get on a soapbox to talk about something in regards to archives and libraries and the historic record. So yeah, when I was researching Sally White, I was so sure that I was going to find so much evidence of this happening because we had exact dates and we had names. Sally White and her husband's name was said to be Henry Wheeler. So I was super, super excited. But I kept coming up empty-handed, and I couldn't find any census information on either Sally White or Henry Wheeler. I couldn't find their graves. I couldn't find anything. And I was reading through newspaper articles around those dates, not only in San Antonio, but also neighboring Texas cities like Dallas. And I didn't really see anything mentioning Sally White or Henry Wheeler or the Menger Hotel. But I did come across one story that sounded vaguely like what happened to Sally in the April 2nd, 1876 issue of the Dallas Daily Herald. And uh, it reads as follows. And please forgive me for the language of the time. I, I don't like saying this, but I'm just going to read you what I found. And it's important to the discussion and important to the context. So this is the short excerpt I found from the quote, in other cities page in the Dallas Daily Herald. And it says, a Negro woman was shot and dangerously wounded by her husband in San Antonio last Tuesday, but slight hopes of her recovery. And that was it. That was the blurb. And I I went and I looked at a calendar uh, for 1876. And the Tuesday prior to that day was, in fact, March 28th. So this was Sally. And the reason I couldn't find her name or her census records was because Sally White was black. I mean, the Civil War had only ended 11 years prior, and as we know, things were still not great for Black people during that time. It wasn't going to be for a while, and it still isn't great, um, but especially for Black women. So now knowing this information, I'm not surprised that I found literally nothing about Sally. In retrospect, I'm just an idiot. I just didn't put two and two together that the ledger for the Menger Hotel that lists the cost of her funeral says... C.O.L. chambermaid deceased murdered by husband and that clearly stood for colored and I just didn't put that together. But this just brings me to briefly touch on a topic about archives and libraries before we get to the paranormal bit. I promise it's coming. I'm just delaying your paranormal pleasure. As we know, the historic record and archives in particular always reflect the viewpoints of individuals in power. And especially with libraries and archives that rely on collecting and donations, they typically didn't collect anything unless it was from cishet white men with a ton of money. And no one cared about archives of pretty much anyone else. No one cared about the archives of even rich women, but no one cared about the archives of Irish immigrants or free black slaves. Like These just weren't things that people ever thought were going to be important to our nation's history or history at all. And you know, now we're like, oh, there's this huge gap in our historic record because you know we didn't care about these people in general or about any of their records or their stories. So there's so 
many gaps for women and queer people and immigrants and the poor that have so many stories and their perspectives and their records and tales are completely lost. And I feel like now the um, field of library science and museums are like desperately scraping to get any little morsel that they can of, I guess you would say, minorities' materials to help fill in these gaps of the historic record. But these are things that are always going to be a major gap. I mean, even before this, uh, people who couldn't read or write, we don't have their perspectives, only the perspectives of the people who could afford the education to read and write and buy books and write books are going to have their stories told. And that's all I wanted to say. I know you don't care, but um, yeah. Like at my job, even with cases as recently as the 1970s, I had so much trouble researching women, white women, rich white women, because even in the 1970s, you couldn't find out what their name was. They would always use their husband's names. So it would never be who you're looking for. It would just be Mrs. James McGovern. And you would never know what her name was. So it can be really hard to find information even just on women as recently as the 1970s because they didn't even get to use their own names. So yeah. That's my librarian shop talk soapbox that I'm going to be getting down from now because I know you don't care and I'm getting fired up and I'm going to swear and I have to keep these podcasts clean. I'm going to get off my soapbox so we can get to the ghosts. Well, almost. I have to tell you what really happened to Sally White. So Sally White was not shot in the walls of the Menger Hotel. Her, quote, husband, Henry Wheeler, was actually her Commonwealth husband. So they've been together for however long, but they weren't actually married. He was known to be prone to anger and jealousy, and they had quite an abusive relationship. They were always in and out of the courts at the time on domestic violence charges, which landed Wheeler with a criminal record and some jail time prior to this incident. But as with a lot of these abusive relationships, uh, they stayed together. And unfortunately, on Monday, March 29th, 1876, Henry was at home and he became angry about something. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, he felt the need to go find Sally because she was not home. So he roamed the streets, scoured the neighborhood until he finally found her. And when he did, he began to abuse her in public and then physically dragged her back to their home, continued to abuse her and swore that he was going to murder her. Luckily, Sally managed to escape and contact the police, who then searched their home for firearms but didn't find anything. And Sally pleaded with them that she couldn't stay there because Henry was going to kill her. And the police obliged and they let her sleep a night in the recorder's office. And she slept there all night very safely. But the next morning, between 6 and 7 a.m., Sally had to get to work. And she had to stop home to get her uniform and get ready. So, sadly, when she entered the neighborhood, Henry Wheeler was there waiting for her and brandishing a six-shooter in his hand. There in the streets, he shot Sally. Try and say that seven times fast. I can barely say it once. So he shot her and wounded her bowels severely, but she was not going to let that stop her. She was not going to die there. She ran two more blocks and was shot two more times, once in the bosom and another time just near her spine. And she finally collapsed at the Menger Brew. And there was when she was taken to the third floor of the Menger Hotel, and it took her two full days to die. Sadly, Henry Wheeler escaped and was never found, but 
Mary Menger was said to have truly cared for Sally, and that's why she covered the costs of her funeral. She paid $25 for Sally's grave and another $7 for the coffin. The record of this is still in the ledger of the hotel. So that was really nice of Mary to do. That wasn't something that she had to do. And now Sally is said to roam the Menger Hotel. If you ever want to see Sally, she can be found on the third floor of the original building. Again, this hotel has been added to and expanded so many times. Not all of it is the original hotel. And people see her as a semi-transparent figure of a woman typically wearing a maid's uniform with a beaded necklace and a scarf tied around her head. She's usually seen walking into rooms or walking through walls, usually carrying sheets or fresh towels. When guests try and get her attention, she typically just stares them down and walks away. So not very helpful, but maybe she's taking care of the other ghosts in the hotel, which is kind of sad. Poor Sally. Hope she moves on. But one guest, um, actually, when she was in the shower, she looked out the door and saw Sally folding sheets at the end of her bed. And apparently this woman was so scared that she ran downstairs to the front desk in her towel out of fear. And I can't help but think, like, what if that was actually just a modern day maid and she was just kind of being, like, overreactive and maybe a little bit racist? Um, but perhaps it was Sally. It's, it, we'll just go with the fact that it's Sally because I would also be frightened. So I didn't find any stories that were confirmed to be Sally anywhere, but I did find this story on Reddit from the user Tuffy the Tooth. Uh, it goes as follows. I was at the Menger bar and I had to use the restroom, so I walked in and took care of my business. No one was in the bathroom. It was late on a Tuesday evening, I believe, so the bar and a hotel weren't very busy. I exited the stall and I walked towards the sink to wash my hands. I heard the door creak open, and it's a rather heavy door, so it makes quite a bit of noise. And I looked to see if anyone entered the bathroom. And normally I'm not this nosy, but I felt really, really strange because no one came through the door. I kind of shrugged it off and just started looking in the mirror to reapply my lipstick, and then all of a sudden, a bright ball of light about the size of a snack plate flew in front of my face, hovered, and then flew into a corner and disappeared. I saw it in front of me, and I also saw it in the mirror. Needless to say, I took the heck off. Now, people in the comments are claiming that this is Sally, even though her typical haunt is on the third floor. I don't know why she's in the bathroom, but other commenters said that people seem to see Sally in the bathroom all the time. So maybe she's just doing some ghostly cleaning in the bathroom, keeping things nice and tidy. Because honestly, if you read the reviews for the Menger Hotel now, not so nice. It sounds like it's kind of like an upscale Holiday Inn with ghosts. Speaking of which, their official website, I was looking at their timeline, and there's a picture, and it says like, oh, this was 1865. Mm-mm, girl, I looked at that. I know my 1940s. I've worked extensively with a um, 1940s uh, large format negative collection. Girl, those clothes were from 1945, 1947, mid to late 40s, not the 1800s. You're not fooling anyone. So I couldn't trust any information on their official website. So that ghost in the bathroom, not officially known if it's Sally or not, but it could be. But 
<laughs> the next guest, the next ghost, the next ghostly guest, the next guestly ghost is unmistakable when you see him and when you hear him because it is our president, Theodore Roosevelt. So I mentioned earlier that I have a small personal connection to Teddy Roosevelt, as well as his business at the Menger Hotel recruiting Rough Riders. First thing, allegedly my great-great-grandfather was a Mexican outlaw that rode with Pancho Villa against the Rough Riders. So (laughs) my great-great-grandpa was uh, an enemy of Teddy Roosevelt. I, you know, sorry, Grandpa, I love Teddy, but that's cool. But it also comes full circle because that same Mexican side of my family, my father and my grandfather, they did work at the Theodore Roosevelt inaugural site in Buffalo, New York. So as you may or may not know, uh, William McKinley was assassinated in Buffalo and Theodore Roosevelt was one of the very, very few presidents to ever be inaugurated outside of Washington, D.C. And he did so in a home in Buffalo, which is also very haunted. But my father and grandfather reupholstered and restored all the furniture that's sitting in that museum today. So kind of like a cute connection that I have both with the Rough Riders and good old Teddy Roosevelt. You probably don't care. You want the ghosts. So I have a Teddy Roosevelt ghost story for you. But first, I just want to mention that Teddy Roosevelt had only stayed at the Menger Hotel like a total of three times in his life. Once that period when he was recruiting people for the Rough Riders, another time he was there for a banquet, and then I don't recall the other time. But again, it seems weird that he would choose to go someplace that he doesn't have much of a connection with. You know, apparently he loved the bar and people still see him there as a very solid apparition. He'll holler at the workers to get their attention and try and talk to them. And for those that actually have gone over to Teddy's ghosts and spoken with him, he's said to just be really congenial, really talkative, and eventually will try and get you to join the Rough Riders, which is hilarious to me. But there is one Teddy Roosevelt ghost story that is just too stupid. It's just too stupid, and I love it. So there was a new employee at the Menger Bar, and for whatever reason, they were made to close the bar alone. So this poor, poor boy, oh dear, he was nearly finished and he heard a noise behind him at the bar of like a drink being set down and he turned around and there sitting at the bar was Teddy Roosevelt just staring at him. He stared at the guy like he did with all the other staff, but for whatever reason, this new employee was so so scared that he screamed and ran to the bar doors and tried to get out, but they had been locked and I guess they were locked from the outside and he couldn't get out. So he was panicking, screaming and just punching at the doors to be let out. And I cannot, I cannot get the image of this hysterical man punching the door and screaming like a banshee. And Teddy just sitting there in his chair, just sipping on his whiskey, like, bro, what the heck are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Um, So eventually someone heard the pounding and let the guy out and he booked it outside and he quit not long after. Teddy didn't quit. He's still there drinking, trying to recruit his Rough Riders. 
that's two of the ghosts that we know of that haunt this hotel. But there's been a lot of things that have happened there. I mean, being a hotel, the Menger has seen countless acts of violence. It's been the scene of robberies. It's been the scene of murders and deaths and suicides. And while I was trying to investigate the fire that happened in the 1920s and 1924, I came across one of the other deaths that happened in 1952. And it's kind of sad. I'm just going to read you the article from the Lubbock Morning Avalanche. What a name for a publication. The title of the article is, Professor's Wife Dies in Hotel Fall. Mrs. Alice Sharp, 59, of Galveston, fell to her death from a fourth-floor Menger Hotel fire escape today. She was identified by her husband, Dr. William B. Sharp, a professor at the University of Texas Medical School in Galveston. Sharp told patrolman Leo Hassman that he and his wife checked into the hotel last night. Mrs. Sharp apparently walked from the room shortly before 9 a.m. while her husband was shaving. She went to the narrow fire escape on the Blum Street side of the hotel. She was clad in a flowered bathrobe and wore no shoes. Her shattered glasses were found on the sidewalk near her body. Sharp did not learn of his wife's death until police began a canvas of those staying on the fourth floor of the hotel. The doctor, who teaches bacteriology at the medical school, said he and his wife were en route by auto to Montana for a visit with relatives. He said his wife had been in ill health for quite some time. Sharp said the body would be returned to Galveston for services there. Now this is just weird to me, because he didn't know his wife died, even though she had been wearing her bathrobe, probably hadn't showered yet because he was hogging the bathroom shaving, and then the police were like, hey, there's a body outside your window. And he was like, oh, wife, where are you? Oh, oh, must be her. I don't know. That sounds like a suspicious death. And I think that this woman would be one of the 32 purported spirits to haunt the Menger Hotel. In fact, she might even be the ghost that led to the horrifying story that we're about to read from Reddit user Hakuhofan. I hope that's not some really inappropriate thing, but this is their story. A few years back, I took my wife to the historic Menger Hotel for her birthday weekend. The hotel is very popular and has been around since the 1800s. It has an old wing, the original, and a new wing. The old wing is absolutely beautiful, and we reserved a room in this section for the weekend. We checked in around midnight and got straight to bed. My phone battery died during the trip, but I put our suitcases in the closet and closed the door. I have a habit. Anytime I close the door... I give it a slight tug in the opposite direction to make certain that it's latched. It's all one quick motion and it's an old habit. So, we get woken up around 3.20am to my wife's phone ringing. We both wake up and she answers it without even looking at it. Hello? Static. Hello? A garbled voice. She's still on the phone and I say, who is it? Silence. (laughs) the same garbled voice but agitated and then it hung up i could hear the last one because it was so quiet and it was so loud i was like wtf we looked at each other and looked at the caller id and it was my phone she pulled my phone out of her purse and checked it and i also checked it and it was still dead and it wouldn't turn on just like we had left it We both looked at each other kind of nervously and chuckled a bit. Not much, but I said, happy birthday, and we went back to sleep. I admit I kind of laid there for at least an hour, just completely freaked out. And then when we woke up in the morning, the closet door was open. Not cracked, not slightly open, 
all the way open as far as the door would go. Second day, we ate lunch in the historic dining room and I had to go back up and get something from our room. I left her at the table and made my way to the elevator where it just opened. No sensors, it just opened. I said, thank you, and I got in. And all in all, the entities we encountered were friendly um, and we will stay there again. Old section only, of course. Okay, first off, pretty friendly. A ghost called you and screamed at you. That's not friendly, my friend. That is scary. But hey, if you weren't too freaked out and you're like, hey, let's just go back there. Let's just get harassed by a ghost on my own phone. What the heck? But sure. So if you're looking for a spooky hotel to stay at and you happen to be going to Texas, it sounds like the Menger is um, definitely giving you some ghostly room service. But again, I read the reviews and they're not great, but I guess if you stay in the old section of the hotel, you're going to get a better experience. You're going to see Sally, you get to see Teddy Roosevelt, you get to get yelled at on your phone by some horrifying entity. Um, And apparently their elevators are full service, which is especially helpful during, you know, COVID-19 times. You don't want to have to be touching those buttons that everyone's touching. Totally down for that. So yeah, that is the historic Manger Hotel and the ghosts that inhabit it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Any images and scans of documents will be available on our Instagram page at Crimes and Witch Demeanors. There you can also enter our giveaway, which is essentially if you leave us a review and you email it to me or DM it to me showing me that you did it, you'll be entered into our giveaway for two free hand-poured soy wax candles of your choice and two crystal necklaces. But it's worth like 80 bucks and all you have to do is leave a little review. I mean, doesn't hurt to try, right? So please, if you have any feedback or suggestions, if you like certain parts of the show and you don't like other parts of the show, or maybe you want me to just try a different approach, I am all ears to any constructive criticism that you may have. I've decided that, you know, I'm going to try and release the show weekly. I've decided that Wednesdays are going to be our days. So one final thank you for listening, and I'll see you next Wednesday with another ghost story. But until then, stay spooky. Thank you.